Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I am authorized to assure you that so far there is no reasonable cause for alarm. The rumors of invading armies and mass destruction are based on hysteria and are absolutely false. I repeat, these rumors are absolutely false. Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of Kay Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. And what up, everybody? We are glad to be back. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely exciting to jump back into the podcasting of our favorite book series. Uh, is that too strong, favorite book series? At you know what? We might as well just say we it is. The book series we were most interested to start a podcast about and talk about way longer than we thought we would. Well, you know, it's just, it's got a lot of entries into the series, so it's a natural fit for a podcast because there can be so many episodes. I mean, if we had decided to cover uh, Michael Grant's uh, Gone series, just throwing that out there because I I can see it on my bookshelf ahead of me, you know, it's like, uh, what, eight books or something? So uh, eight podcast episodes, probably not the greatest for a series unless it covered multiple series Hey, maybe at the end of this whole thing, we're all wrapped up on Vegemorphs. Uh, we'll we'll put it to a vote on which fan fiction continuation of the series that we jump into. <laughs> sure, I mean we can have uh, tons of things going on after we finish the initial run of episodes. But either way, if you're listening to this uh, podcast episode in real time as it's being released, uh, it it might have been a little while since our last episode that we put out. Um, we are Tea entering. Time. Yeah, we are entering the summer months now, which is just, as a general rule, usually always busier for the both of us. Yeah, and I think it's going to ease up for me a little bit. So if um, I was kind of a stopping point for the last couple of months, because I work at a university, so um, the end of a semester is, is rough, especially the spring semester. So I'm actually going to ease up a little bit. I got a few projects going on in the summer, but uh should be a more regular schedule for, on my end. Yeah, right on. Exactly. And I will be uh, starting a new job, hopefully, very soon here. So my schedule is going to be shifting around a bit uh, as well. But I can tell you that I will be moving to a four-day work week. So uh, that should be more time for podcasting. Then again, I'm also uh, on uh, two other podcasts uh, covering TV shows that are about to start up again. So... Um, it's gonna get a little, little dicey here, a little plus, crazy. Plus, like that kitty here is still alive, isn't she? Uh, I, I think so. I think she's uh, uh, in the cage right now, as we speak. Okay, as we do yeah, this, just rattle, rattle a little bit, make sure. Well, she's uh, she's a pretty independent eight month old. I think she'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to check on her. I, you hate those helicopter parents, you know, all around them. She loves it when I put her in the helicopter and we go for a ride. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you were talking about, but that's what I choose to believe. Hey, just just be quiet. Let's move on. Let's thank our Patreons, because those, those are the real heroes. Good, good call. After, exactly. After a break, they're still with us, still loving us. Just, just great. They're heroes among men. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of which, uh, if you want to support the show and, and help us keep doing this, you can become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash thoughtspeak. 
Uh, we will thank you if you do so, which we will do now. So uh, very special thanks to <laughs> Spencer, Dan, uh, oh my God, Jaleo, J- Jaleo, um, uh, Ben Freeman, thank you very much, Jennifer Baker, James Miola, Dominic Kahin, Kendra, Kevin Koslowski, uh, Grace, thank you all very much. Uh, we still got some more. Dan Zander, Daniel Martinoli, uh, Nita Labrada, Gaffaro. I still can nail that one. Um, Michael Blemick uh, and Sorrent Joyce. Hey, thank you all so very much for subscribing and throwing your monies at us whenever we release one of these dumb episodes. Uh, very, very grateful. Um, recently, I-, I believe we've lost a subscriber or two, but it's okay. We're, we're still hanging in there. Um, we're hovering around where, that hundred dollar mark per episode and that's really where we want to be. So thank you all what very other, much. What other podcast could you, your name butchered that badly? I mean, it's, it's good fun for you, for us. Um, and, and you know, we, we do really appreciate everybody who's given so far and who's signed up as a subscriber. Uh, I will say that there are some, uh, there's a dangling fruit of rewards uh, if we end up going higher. We're talking a new website, new community boards, um, possible extravagant rewards if we get even higher in the Whoa, whoa, whoa. Scale, Pro- so. like, try not to promise too much because then we might Wild. actually have to follow through. <laughs> Fulfill your dreams left and right. Whatever you wish for, we'll give it. Uh, uh, everyone's going to we'll be a millionaire see. if we get to a certain point. That's that's a promise I can make. There's eventually going to come a point where we're just like done with episodes. Like we finish the series, we talk about everything we need to talk about afterwards, and then we're just going to have this Patreon for I don't know what. <laughs> if people are still paying us at that point, I'll be very surprised. <laughs> I will I will say this if if our Patreon does get higher it does go up not only does that really it, we really appreciate it. it helps pay for the show cuz for a long time that burden was on our backs it was on our families and you guys just putting in a little bit each I mean it really takes that stress off us so we can continue doing the show put out episodes promptly that sort of thing but in the in the future I really want that Patreon to support something that we leave behind that is for the Animorphs community and that, you know, if, if Animorphs ever continues or a sequel series, we'll be right there at the forefront uh, with whatever we end up giving you, which right now we've got plans. You can check it out at patreon.com uh, slash thoughtspeakcast. And um, it's just... Uh, there's a lot on there, and I, we really appreciate anything anyone gives. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know what else I'd like to see more of? iTunes rating and reviews. Um, since our last episode, we've we've got a couple more, and I want to share one with you because it's uh, really nice. Uh, this is a five-star iTunes review, <clears throat> and it's from uh, somebody named Hossum Rivers. Uh, he says... Loved and still love the Animorphs, reread them a couple years ago and followed a review blog then, was just thinking about them again and stumbled onto this podcast a couple weeks ago, up to book 15 on the reviews now. You guys are funny and insightful. I enjoy the arguing at times too. So far, I've realized I've been tending to agree with Mitch more when it comes to analysis and rating, but you both are enjoyable to listen to. I'm sure when I catch up with your reviews, I'll probably send an email or something and then to express my opinion and no one will care about it. <laughs> Thanks for these, though. Well, I tell you what, Hossum, we care. And uh, if you send us an email, we'll read it. 
And uh, you too Speaking can leave email. us a very kind rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever uh, site you use for for uh, podcasts. Yeah, and uh, you know this also help the word out about the show, get us more listeners, and just you know build the Animorphs community and people rereading the books and getting back into them. Uh, but speaking of emails, we do have another email as well. Um, so I just want to read that out. It comes from Sarah Houston. Uh, first time writing in. Love that this podcast is out here. Some of the stuff you guys point out, like how when Ellen is writing The Illusion, she shows the way they act different towards their classmates now instead of just saying war changed them. Are great examples to show do's and don'ts of writing characters. But what I really write in to say is about an adaptation. I love cartoons. I've seen some really dark moments that can be done in animation. I was for a cartoon animation. She's referring to our classic animation versus live action adaptation fight. <laughs> the um, classic debate. Yeah, I was for cartoon animation. Then I remembered Marvel. I think they could do a fantastic adaptation. They use heavy special effects in pretty much all their movies. They could balance humor and drama. Even the absurd scenes uh, would probably be hilarious if they found the right people to cast. It seems like a perfect fit now. If there was a screen adaptation of our Animorphs, then I'm for live action. But I wonder if adapting it would be a good idea at all. I'd love new content and more fans, but the violence alone in a faithful adaptation would give this movie an R. The ways I could see that uh, going is watering down or adding things in since they already have an R. What adaptation would we really get? Now, I have to disagree with Sarah a little bit. I think, uh, you know, I'm kind of a big movie buff, um, and I, I I feel like the kind of violence we've seen in Animorphs movie would mostly be animal on alien or vice versa. Very and, fantasy violence, Yeah, so to speak. in the past, Hollywood's been all for that. That I think it would get a PG-13 tops. And it could be incredibly violent, guts spilling out. As long as they're purple or they're coming out of a tiger, I don't think Hollywood cares. Well, if they um, made the Hunger Games PG-13, I, I think they can make Animorphs work. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, we, how many Terminator movies have we gotten that are PG-13 now? And Although, that, I, I, I do a- gotta say, something about Marvel's The Animorphs kind of rubs me the wrong way. I, hey, I'm better than that. Better than DC's The Animorphs. Uh, <laughs> sure. I say that but on barely. the eve of I say that on the eve of Wonder Woman being uh released and I I stand by it. Hey, go for it. Um I just I I I'm not the hugest fan of how Marvel's handled their properties in the last decade or so. Um, you got to give it to them for, for reaching a broad audience. And, and the fact that Avengers even exists is kind of amazing. I mean, now it seems so normal, but, I mean, there was nothing like that before. These It was like a TV series with a movie budget. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. Sure, they're stepping in the right direction, but, uh, I mean, there's so many other filmmakers and studios that <sighs> would just do a magnificent job with this property that I don't see the uh the the necessi- necessity well, uh, of putting like it in this see, big studio i'd like to see lionsgate handle it i think lionsgate or um a bloomhouse bloomhouse has been killing it lately with making uh low budget movies but still giving them a medium-sized budget uh and then like making the money back tenfold um bloomhouse lets creators and directors really like um uh, you know do what they want without going overboard. You know, their only restriction is budget. And I think, I think Animorphs needs a restriction on it, especially in the first movie, um, to just 
pull those creative juices out. And that's I was still all for live action. It just got to be handled properly. I okay. You know what? I'll, <laughs> I'll make a I'll make a uh, concession here with you. I am okay with an Animorphs live action film only if it is done by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> No, he would he would butcher it. I think. No, he would add fantastic dialogue and amazing action scenes to a property that we already know has that. So no, I, I, I just think he'd do a great job. No, here's who needs to handle it: Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves is one of the best working directors out there right now. Started out with Cloverfield. Uh, he's now moved on to the. He's done other various movies. He did Kick Ass, um, but. He's right in the middle of doing the the new Planet of the Apes movies, and they are a perfect representation of what could be done with Animorphs. They're incredibly violent, dead serious movies, all about war, shown from a crazy perspective. The the apes are the main characters. Yeah, with animals. <laughs> yeah, with animals, and it's beautiful CGI. It's some of the best CGI, working CGI out there right now. And it just works. It's it, they're great movies. They have something to say about life. And uh, okay, and, well, and you know what? what Hollywood has had a lot of time to perfect their ape CGI. Okay, <laughs> it's gonna take a lot more than good-looking ape monkey CGIs to to win me hey, over. Marco will look fly. We will know that at least. And the human characters, they're you know James Franco can play Jake. We'll be good to go. Sure. Uh, oh, on a completely separate note, I just want to point out that I went to the zoo today with, uh, Me too. with, my, with my wife and kid. Really? That's I did weird. too. How did you? How did we not talk about this? I have no idea. Uh, I would assume you would have saw my Facebook pictures and and commented. Samezies. So we're not here to talk about all that stuff. We're here to talk about book number thirty-four, the prophecy. It's one that I don't know if anyone's been waiting for necessarily. Well, I haven't. I, I never read this book, so I guess I was kind of waiting for it. Um, and I'm, I'm led to believe that was the same with you. I'll go one step further. I didn't know this plot of all the ones people joke about or talk about or discuss. I didn't even know this plot existed. That there was another book that tied into the Horkbajir Chronicles. Yeah, I'd always heard about it, but uh, because I'd never read the Horkbajir Chronicles, I just assumed this was one I could skip, and it wouldn't affect the plot overall. I guess I just yeah. never really cared to learn more about the Hork-Bajir history and culture. Yeah, well, listen in, folks, and you'll see if we were right or wrong whether this fits into the right of the series. Oh, sure, yeah, we're going to learn a lot about, uh, uh, well, nothing really, I guess. <laughs> that was a bad way to start that sentence. Anyway, yeah, like you mentioned, we're talking book 34, The Prophecy. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the back here. <clears throat> There's a chance for the free Hork-Bajir on Earth to help start a rebellion against the Yerks on the Hork-Bajir homeworld. And they've learned from the last surviving Arn, the race that created the Hork-Bajir, that Aldrea, daughter of Prince Ciro, knew the location of a stolen Yerk vessel packed with weapons. Unfortunately, the only way to recover the ship is to ask Aldrea herself, and she's dead. But the Arn has Aldrea's personality stored, and Cassie, Rachel, or Toby Hami are the closest match. The only problem is that once Aldrea gets into one of their minds, she may not want to come out. Now, we've mentioned in the past about how these summaries uh, aren't really doing some of these plots very uh, justice. Um, some of them even seem like they were written before they had a complete draft of the story 
completed. Um, this one, it just, when you read in the back of it, man, it's throwing out terms left and right. Like, uh, uh, it's just very all over the place. It seems it must've been a tough one to, to write the summary, but, um, it might have made them read the book a little more closely. Although I, I disagree with it, uh, throwing Cassie into the mix as one of the um, potential vessels for all. Yeah, sure. That's, they they didn't mention Axe. <laughs> yeah. Because Axe was also very gung-ho about it. Yeah, but it, either way, I mean, it's not it's not one of the worst summaries, but yeah, it would throw off a, a new reader who, for some reason, is jumping in at 34. Yeah, right. Well, and if you look at the cover of this book... Um, this isn't one that I, I think you would start out with necessarily. I don't know. It, it's very strange with uh, Cassie doing her like stride walk, you know, slowly morphing into the hork which it's cool uh, to get some official hork art as always. But I think, again, this is uh, one of those stock images that they just use, like the Andalite, like Axe. Um, I don't know. They might have done this one from, from scratch because it looks a little different, but... Uh, it looks like they touched up a little bit, went a little more into detail. Uh, I could be wrong. But I do appreciate that she is doing, yeah, like you said, a little stride walk. And she starts out with her right arm, and then it moves into the left arm moving forward with the hork That's a nice little design uh, thing. It's like it actually gives it motion. Oh, so. I never even noticed that. But, yeah, that is strange. Um, the, the whole, like, purpley cloud thing is um, kind of weird on this book. They do the clouds usually on most covers yeah it sets it apart though it looks a little more alien um i don't don't mind the design of it necessarily it's just again with the nondescript clothing and well first of all the fact that they're even wearing clothing while doing these morphs just doesn't make sense with the story that's never gonna go away (laughs) right um flipping onto the inside cover though it's pretty sweet yeah it never happened though not not a scene from the book there was never uh, shooting down at them. No, I, I don't recall a scene where uh, multiple hork were were um, having some kind of dance rave laser party. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it looks like is these uh, hork up that, top are chilling out. That second that second hork from the right on the platform, why did they put his hand up? Why did it, it literally makes it look like a dance rave. You're right. Because he's like, party over here. Where are you guys going? <laughs> yeah, and then the one on the far left's like, yo, I'm here too. Just yeah. got here. What's going on? <laughs> yo, man, I got the LSD, bro. That's... I think they had to draw some hork and just, just threw it together and <laughs> called it a day. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's not a terrible inside cover art thing as far as these, makes... these books go. Especially think it's original, too, because they had to draw for the first time multiple hork from different angles. Sure, so. and this is probably the only official artwork in the series that has multiple hork like, in a scene, you know? I, I can't think yeah. of any other books where we've got to see, like, a, a scene like this, you know? I still, and I still disagree with the, I mean, this is a dumb thing to disagree with. I still disagree with the hork design, like, the official design. I, th- I think it... It's not just about what I saw when I read it, but I th- I think it it really should be less reptilian for these tr- tree dwelling. Like if you're just pulling from nature, I would have loved to have seen them be more apish or more anything that that resembles something that lives in a tree rather than 
dinosaur lizards. It, yeah, it really does look like they had dinosaur lizard on their mind when they were they were creating this. Uh, <clears throat> real quick, I glossed over the uh, front uh, cover quote, which is just so stupid. What you don't know can't hurt you, except for the yurks. Literally makes no sense. Is nonsense. (laughs) This is another one of those quotes that they just pulled from a list and were like, eh, screw it, this one will probably do. I think what it's trying to say is that it's trying to hint towards like their secret identities, and if the Yurk knows it, then they would hurt them, except you are one of the Animorphs when it's saying you, and it's just... (laughs) It's just bad. It's just Look, really, they, really they bad. could have gone with the, the little quote they used on the inside cover. Cassie's definitely up a tree. And that would have made more sense. No, because that would have referenced the book or the plot or, you know, something that actually has to do with the book. And that's that's number one rule, marketing team. Don't mention the book. Don't even read the book. For those quotes. Don't read the book. Don't look at the series. Don't read the title. <laughs> I'm, surprised there's, I'm surprised there's animals on the front of these books. Right? Well, okay. We're going to dive into this one. You ready? You ready to I'm dive? Ready. You ready? I'm ready. Ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Sure. Um, right away, you know, these first chapters are always kind of uh, disconnected, so to speak, from uh, the plots. Um, and they're usually just meant to kind of recap things while you've got the characters doing some stuff. But in this particular opening scene, we've got Cassie and Rachel in what is a blatant misuse of their powers, uh, breaking into one of Cassie's teacher's houses um, in Morph, of course. Uh, uh, Rachel's in her cat Morph, and Cassie's in a rat Morph. And um, they're there to retrieve a very specific piece of paperwork that uh, Cassie had turned into her teacher with an embarrassing doodle of, uh, you know, Cassie loves Jake or some nonsense on it. Um, I, I gotta be honest with you, <laughs> Not a very strong opening chapter. Pretty dumb. I mean, of, of all the, of all the, we've seen Rachel and Cassie go on these personal missions before. Usually, Rachel's convincing Cassie to do something stupid. Uh, of all of them, this one does start out pretty rough. This is not a good scene. It's, it's. I, I guess it was, it was trying to like hint towards it being like they're on some dangerous mission um, for something serious, and then it's like surprise, Cassie just had his doodle. Um, Right. It's just not it's not great. It's not executed well. It didn't make me want to dive into the rest of the book. Um and you no. know what? I got to say that <clears throat> I think they tend to lean on uh whenever it's a Cassie or Rachel book, uh usually making pairing those two characters specifically. They put the girls together to do something. Um and, and it's usually kind of like the guys, you know, this this abusing their power so to speak for their own personal thing but it's always something stupid um i'd I'd like to see them not lean so much on well we got to pair the girls together because this is uh gonna be a quote-unquote girl book Uh, well i think also i think i think they were i think they were trying to plan out these just like you just said they were trying to plan out these first chapters to be something that pulls the sweet valley high type of kid in or the the hardy boys kid like these whether it's a boy or girl um who just picks up the book because it's got a girl or boy on the front of it um they wanted to try to pull them in so i think this is a very targeted opening chapter but what i what i would love to see with these opening chapters in the book throughout the entire series is what they do with the ending chapters a lot of the ending chapters are poignant and 
have to do with the rest of the book or set up themes or close out on themes uh, or just these little small scenes that give us a nice little send off from whatever the plot was. I, they got really good at that last chapter, I think, in a lot of the Animorphs book. And if we would have had that in some of these first chapters, books could have even been better than they are now. Yeah, I mean, I just I wish they could come up with a more clever lead in to the story than their typical recap and the first chapter's like a throwaway. Like and most or, of the books you don't even need to read the first chapter. Or if it's a Jake book, a nightmare is how the <laughs> book starts. Sure, sure. Um, let's see. Uh you know, the the good thing about this though is <clears throat> it wraps up quickly and then we're into the plot. And uh just one of the first things I, I noticed <clears throat> God, my throat. One of the first things I noticed about this book is, uh, uh, well, I'm just going to read it for you. Um, we have Cassie talking about, you know, the team and everything. And here we finally have an admission from her. Um, even though he never said it out loud, I knew that Jake loved me. And I knew Jake knew I loved him, even though I'd never said it out loud either. That was totally clear when we kissed. Yes, even though we don't walk around groping each other like some couples, we've kissed a few times. Usually right after we've managed to survive something horrible. It's usually an I can't believe we're alive kiss. <laughs> so, uh, that's pretty interesting. I mean, they don't... It, I remember the older books where they hadn't... Uh, made references to their relationships and stuff. It's just, it's like be a progression of the characters. It. Yeah, exactly. Although I wish, I think we really needed um, a breaking point for that. I, I, they built that up so much in the beginning books. And while I, I think a lot, of, a lot of the audience wouldn't have liked a book that I'm about to propose, I kind of wish that we had a book that was all about them accepting that they're in love with each other and like that breakout moment uh, where they actually just become a couple. Like, I feel like we needed a whole book to, to have that release of their building, you know, relationship tension. Um, we never got that. We just kind of, it just gradually happened. They kissed a few times. Um, maybe that's a little more realistic, but I, I don't know. I kind of wanted that Ross and Rachel, she closes up, uh, you know, the cafe and then opens it back up and she's, he's out there in the rain and they kiss, you know, like you never got that. Not uh, specifically like that, I suppose. <laughs> um, the real, real plot of the story starts though uh, when yeah, Cassie's flying around in Owl Morph or Bird Morph, and she uh, sees a lone Horkbajir wandering around, and she's like all ready to attack it, and uh, she almost does, but turns out it's just Jarahami, the free Horkbajir, or as I call him in my notes, Jarahami, the free HB. Um, <laughs> I really, I we're really gonna like we're this. gonna say Hork Bajir a lot in this episode and <laughs> in our summary. So, yeah, I, I really like this opening to the plot though because uh, Cassie has at least a page or two where she is flipping out that their secret has gotten out, and I think it's handled pretty well. Like it's she's she's going through all the options, what she should do, who do they already have her parents? She's legitimately goes from zero to sixty terrified, and I think it, I think it showed that well. Sure, but of course, you know, Jeremy just simply tells her that the reason he's out there is because uh, one of the Arn has shown up. And if we recall from the hork Chronicles, the Arn are those species of aliens who were uh, kind of dicks, I will say. Um, they they are really narrow-minded, and uh, uh, remember, they were very self-absorbed in their own little culture. 
and and uh, they were and they were mad scientists basically. I mean, they were this genius race who created the Horkbajir to keep their planet alive. And exactly. It's, it's, it's one of those very gray moments in the Animorph series where uh, some people could actually side with them and be like, hey, what they did, really nothing wrong with it. Uh, other people see it as creating slavery. The problem is that they were just so complicit in the whole thing, especially with the Yurks taking over their planet. They just basically sat on the sidelines see, and watched. That was that was their big sin in my mind, the, the dealing with the Yurks and letting the hork be actually enslaved um, by the by the Yurks. But in my mind, the Arn created the hork uh, the they at least gave entire... them freedom. I don't think they're they're so bad for creating yeah, engineering, a, engineering a race from the get go to want to take care of the trees. And that's a part of their lifestyle. I don't think I don't I, I might be, you know, pissing off a large part of the fan base or making myself seem morally corrupt. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. They they created this race who love trees and were happy and you know, could go or do whatever they wanted. Uh, maybe creating the monsters in the fog that killed them every once in a while wasn't the greatest, but <laughs> sure. um, but the rest of it, I, I didn't think that was that bad. But yeah, no, the, and you the know what? They, the they made they were a peaceful race themselves, and they made a peaceful race for their own specific purpose, and everything was fine until the Yurks showed up and ruined it. And they were the biggest hippies. You know, they they just wanted to save their planet. They weren't, you know, they weren't trying to like take over the galaxy or anything. Uh, they just wanted to create some trees and have somebody take care of them. Right. Well, if you recall, the the specific reason they did it was because they needed a very uh, specific mixture of oxygens or something from uh, from the trees. And that's the why they had trees. to engineer their own whole planet. <laughs> for yeah. It. Well, here's, so, here's what if if this if the Horkbajir were a nanoscopic race of microbes, if they were molecules that went about their busy day keeping the trees alive and making them healthy, no one would have a problem with it. The fact that they're large and sentient, that's why people have an issue with it. And it's, uh, it's honestly a double standard, and you people make me sick. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, moving on. Um, the, so, so the Arn is back, and that's a big deal, because, uh, first of all, what's an Arn doing on Earth? Um they need to go figure that out. So, of course, they travel to the, the Free Hork Bajir colony, everyone, and uh, they go to meet with this last Arn. Um, and let's see. There, there's just a lot to go through here. I've got something. Well, his uh, basic his basic plot, his what he wants, why he's on Earth, is that he wants to bring the Hork Bajir back to Hork Bajir. He wants free Hork Bajir. And to do that, he needs the DNA of the Free Hork Bajir and the Hork Bajir colony on Earth. Uh, yeah. He needs their DNA to create his a new race of free hork bajir. Um, right. Before why, we even why? get into that, before we even get into that, I, I just want to point out one thing on, um, on, on page 13 here. Um, to, 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 uh, they're talking about, about yeah, it. I'm going to read no, this. I'm going to read no. this. And Arn on earth here. Why? That's the question. What's he's up to? Rachel wondered. He had to come. Star Wars, the Phantom Menace isn't coming out on DVD there for like two years. <laughs> and then um, he goes on to say, don't be dissing TPM, Marco said. Cool is cool. Oh, okay, that's such a sin. Is, <laughs> it really is. And it's okay. So we're actually having this uh, renaissance with the Star Wars prequels right now where a lot of people are coming back to them and saying, you know, they had some great concepts. They're, they're worth being a part of the Star Wars saga. But at this time and point when this had come out, 
that is so disconnected from the millions of people who could not stand the Phantom Menace, or not could not stand it, but like it was such a disappointment. The vast majority of people uh, really, really hated the Phantom Menace just because it didn't live up to the standards of the original trilogy. So for them to have Marco, who is so pop culture savvy, be like, cool is cool. Uh, it just, it's so disconnected. Even if you could yeah. say that they're young enough that a lot of young people really like the Phantom Menace and the prequels when they came out, Marco is so smart and cynical. He would have been part of the nerd group who, uh, who really hated on the, on the Phantom Menace and be like, oh, it didn't hold up to Empire Strikes Back. That, that yeah. would have been Marco in a nutshell. Well, at the end of the day, really, we're just nitpicking about a very small sci-fi reference. But, but it's funny. It's, it's funny. It's, it's, it's definitely a sin to call it cool. <laughs> definitely. Um, There's, yeah. So everybody's at the uh, the Hork-Bajir colony. Uh, they're, they're meeting with this Arn who has shown up. And I feel like uh, the Applegates or whoever was the uh, ghostwriter in this one. Oh, I can tell you. It was uh, it is, the, the uh, Melinda Metz. Who's returning, who we've really, really enjoyed her work in the past. Uh, right. Um, and as soon as we um, get to this whole scene where the Arn is kind of setting up his plot, they throw out, like, all of these uh, these terms, these names, these alien names. Um, so, first of all, the Arn, he's got one of the most complex names I think we've seen in the series. And I'm just going to tell you right now, it, it's Quafijinivan. That's his name. That's a good pronunciation. Quafijinivan. Yeah. Well, I've let's spent him, a lot of time thinking about it. <laughs> let's call let's call him Q, just to pull from the the Applegates. I bet that's a reference they were making. Um, let's call him Q, though. That's that's straight from Star Trek. Um, hey, you know what? If, if if you have a hard time pronouncing it, you go right ahead, my friend. But uh, he's Quafijinovan <laughs> for me. Um, yeah. But besides that, there, there's other terms that they're throwing out here, such as Ixala, which I kind of like, actually. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And the, the Ixala is is her ghost in the shell, so to speak. It's Aldrea's personality and memories stored in a what they just call a bottle. Um, <laughs> and uh, besides that, there's there's one other term for the actual like seance ceremony that they have to perform to summon her. And it is called an adafalxical. Okay, this one's hard. Because there's an accident. <laughs> Out of falsicle. It's just so stupid. It could they, be a, it could they be, were messing you, with the readers. Could you pronounce it with a Z sound? Where the X is? Out of it... falsicle. Yeah, I think that's probably how it's supposed to be. Probably. Either way, I, I really think they were just screwing with us. Especially with the Quafijinivan name. Yeah, I like it. It's, it's weird how they it, you described it as a seance, and that's how they joke about it in the book. But it really is. It's like a scientific uh, seance. Yeah, that, that's exactly, I think, what they were going for here on this one. Um, so uh, they get there, and, you know, he sets up this whole thing, which you mentioned, you know, they they uh, need some Hork-Bajir DNA to create some more warriors and take them back, and then they want to arm them with, with this hidden uh, weapon stash that Aldrea supposedly Cash, hit. yeah. Um, and and a big part of it is you didn't, so Ixia, it's... it's it's got Aldrea from the Hork-Bajir Chronicles. That was the Andalite who turned into a Hork-Bajir and stayed as a Nothlet and fell in love with Dakhami, who is Jerahami's father. No. Grandfather, grandfather. or something. Ah, the whole no, it's, age it's, and timeline thing never no, really no, no, made no, much Jeremy's, sense to Jeremy's grandfather, because Jeremy's father was Ciro uh, Hummy who is named after Aldrea's father, which is where Ciro's kindness comes in. The no, dude, Ciro died. 
no. Ciro, her father died, but she named her first son Ciro. Yeah, and that little little Ciro dead. Yeah, super dead. Yeah, he he didn't no, have any offspring. Yes, he did. He super yes, he did. Ciro Ciro is is di- that's how they're related. Toby's a great grandfather great grandmother is uh, Aldrea. You know what? I gotta tell you, I glossed over the Hork-Bajir lineage because I just frankly didn't care that no, much. No, look, let me they, just lay they, out real quick. And, and, and another thing that this book this. does, or this series does, I should say, is making everybody related to everybody important. Listen, <laughs> I know, but listen, this is important. This is actually important to the plot of the book. Ciro was Dakami and Aldrea's son. He was enslaved his entire life as a uh, controller, but he was bred, or whoever the Yurks handle it, he was bred to have Dakami, uh, who is um, no, Toby's Dak. father. Dak was Ciro's father. Yo, you're getting no. confused now. Oh yeah, Dude, Dak. Yeah, Dak is Ciro's. <laughs> Jira Hami is Ciro's. Dear listener, offering. let me just tell you, it's it's not worth <laughs> trying to it figure is, it all it's out. It is. It's actually important to the plot, so I'd like it to get it right. So we got it. It's I know because there. Toby's in the relation, but okay, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, the most important thing here is that you know they've they've got their goal set up, and you know what? This is another book that was all a plot. There's no B plot. It's it's we're it's, we're stuck with the team. All the way I through. disagree with that wholeheartedly. The B-plot is whether Aldrea is going to give up Cassie's body or not. Yeah, but there's no diversion from, from the A-plot. I mean, you're, it's, it's, it follows one linear story. You know what I mean? No, but well, it, not necessarily because there's a lot of internal stuff with Cassie. And it actually affected the, the A-plot, what's happening in the B-plot. Because at some points, Aldrea was leading them just based on wanting to see like her home or things like that. Like, it. it the B plot is actually incredibly important to the A plot, so I heartily disagree with you. Well, that's not the way I separate it, though. I, I think this is one straightforward linear story, and Can it's all one thing. Can you name a B plot in another, the, another Animorphs what? book? In another uh, Animorphs book? Yeah, if you didn't f- surprise me with this question all of a sudden, and I can't. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. No, request no, like 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 <laughs> no, like the first the first Animorphs book. The B plot of that is. Um, their normal life, like their human life. What, what would you say? Uh, the Give me an example. First of the book, so I I, the first book, I would also say there's no B plot. It's just straight <laughs> through. It's it's all one story. Oh, okay, okay. Let me ask you this: Is this a B plot? Um, the book, I can't remember which one it is, but the book where Rachel's dealing with uh, her father coming back, and they've got a mission. The, the A plot is the mission and all that. But yeah, her Star, father... Star Starfish book had great A and B plot. <laughs> No, not surface plot. The one, the one where her father offers her a chance to move to New York with him. Yes, exactly. There you go. That's so a, plot, that a, B plot. That a plot. A plot. Them okay. dealing with the whatever mission they were doing in that book, and then the B plot was the stuff going so on. So, by the your side. standard, I would say this one definitely has a B plot that's important. No, no, it doesn't. There's nothing yes. going on on the side. It is all self-contained in one story. There's yeah, there's multiple things happening within that story, but it's all one thing. No, I, I honestly, I would break it up into their mission to get the weapons, and then the B-plot is whether Cassie is going to give up her body or not to Aldrea. It's it's a big, big that's That's thing. just something that's happening within the one story, though. Well, then Rachel dealing with her father giving her a option to move to New York is just something she was dealing with during the mission. No, because I was independent from that. God, you just don't uh, get it. We're moving on. <laughs> Gosh. 
let's see. They they do the okay. Uh, there was something else I wanted to read here. I'm pretty sure I got my book open to a page. <laughs> I've only got I've only got three notes, and my other two are. Oh, here's a cool thing. Okay, so they're talking about like uh, they wanna they wanna get into uh, doing this whole seance thing and. And they're they're trying to plan out like if they're gonna go to the Hork-Bajir planet, they're gonna get the chi to um to take over for them. And I really like that they make mention here uh, where Cassie's like, if we don't return dot dot dot, and Eric offers, we could stay with your families if you really wish. And they have to tell him like, no, let's just if if we die, let's say we died, you know. It's not nice to to lead our families on like that. I'm actually surprised they haven't had this conversation before with them. Uh, I, yeah, and you know I would have liked to see it sooner or maybe in its own self-contained book because yeah, love them cheese and uh, would love to get some sides. Oh my gosh, a cheese book written from the perspective of the cheese where they where they think the animorphs are dead and they have to figure out what to do with their families or how to tell them. Yeah, and I then at the book. at the very end, like they come back. That'd be great. Yeah, that would be great. And you can see like a day-to-day life of Chi and them impersonating and all the funny antics they get up. And then maybe the Yerks are involved, like the Yerks are getting close to the secret of the Animorphs, and so the Chi have to do something to like they have to go on a mission to like divert the Yerks or make them think something different. Oh man, that book writes itself. <laughs> it very well could, yeah. Uh let's see. Um so they're they're all about this mission. Um, everybody's down. The the free hork bajir are willing to give their DNA up to Quafijinivan, and they want to you know blast off. But um, uh, this is uh, something that I've been waiting for for a long time. Everybody else who doesn't have a hork bajir morph finally acquires one, which is yeah. something that I feel like should have happened a long ass time ago. When one of them acquires a big morph, like Horpigir or something like that, they should all do it. That, that Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Um, so, and then you got with the seance, um, Rachel, of course, volunteers to be a host for Aldrea, as does Axe and Toby. Um, but, of course, you know, Cassie's the main character in this book, so she chooses her. We can, we can both agree real quick. Um, the, I would say the, the switch up, that Cassie's the host is interesting, but the whole rest of the whole seance thing is kind of hokey, right? You agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I thought it was played for like a comedic effect. Um, yeah. I was like Sam Raimi's um, Drag Me to Hell. Like that. Seance. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like that. Um, oh, love the reference. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, great movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I thought it was just very wacky. It was uh, a sci-fi seance, and uh, it's no surprise that Aldrea chooses Cassie as her host. Um, it takes a little while for her to kind of draw her out, but um, this is a really interesting sub-story, uh, <laughs> I guess. Yo, the, so this does this. have a subplot. Well, just the idea that uh, Aldrea chooses Cassie, and it... it obviously makes Cassie feel very conflicted um, for several reasons. First of all, because she thinks maybe Aldrea chose her because she's the weakest and she could be taken over and controlled, which we see her do several times throughout the book. Um, So it just adds like a little layer of of doubt to the whole situation, which is very nice. We'll call this this (laughs) C-plot. We'll call it the (laughs) Z-plot. Because it's so irrelevant. No, it's not really relevant. (laughs) 
Anyway. No, it, uh, it is really interesting. I agree with it. It's, it's, it's something she's worrying about, and she comes at it from a bunch of different angles on, like, well, maybe she picked me because of this. Maybe she picked me because of this. And uh, it really ties into the ending well, I think. Yeah, a wee bit. Um, and we even get, you know, chapters from Aldrea's perspective, which is, uh, it's always nice when they do things like this in these books where they break out of the narrating character and go into a different character. And I think I think it was it was a little awkward in this book, jumping to Aldrea suddenly, just because it doesn't fit with any of the formats we've seen before um, doing that. And it, But I think it's a nice nod to those who really like the Horkbidger Chronicles coming back into this book in the perspective of the narrator from those books. Um, that's It's great to see her again and be inside her head again. Yeah, it's very much like, um, you know, the hero from another book um, that we haven't heard from or seen in a long time takes over. And if you'll recall, Aldrea's not the best person or character. And very, I, when I say that, I mean... Very gray morality. Very gray yeah, morality. Yeah, exactly. She's a very flawed protagonist. Um, and, and you it, think it, about when... At this point, when her memory was recorded, she had been fighting a war on the Horkbajir planet. She had gotten used to being a Horkbajir. Uh, they were fighting guerrilla warfare. It was dirty, dirty war up until the virus was released, which she experienced. So this is a more morally conflicted Aldrea than we even saw throughout most of the Horkbajir Chronicles. Right. And uh, she's just, uh, well... Immediately when she's introduced to the team, you know, there's there's problems. She um, first of all learns that her and everyone she ever loved are dead. (laughs) And now she's on this alien world and she has to uh, cooperate with not only an Arn, which she's not the biggest fan of, um, but an Andalite as well. Um, and she, as we mentioned, no longer considers herself Andalite. That's something she's very adamant about. Is she's constantly referring to herself as a Horkbajir. And Axe calls her out on it several times. And uh, her interactions with Axe are really the most interesting part of this book, I think. Um, because really it's good, yeah. it's this Andalite character um, that we know and love, Axe. Um, and Aldrea is just like the foil to that kind of personality, you know? She's everything well, that mention, Axe isn't. Not to mention the biggest thing she's struggling with is the fact that she's not in her own body. She has to share a body with Cassie, and Cassie is putting the foot down as far as controlling it most of the time. Um, so it's it's a struggle from her from the get-go. Considering by her memory, everything was fine 24 hours ago. Exactly, yes. Um, so... With her in Cassie's body, um, the team needs to like make preparations and stuff before they head out, and they they give them a little time to kind of adjust and try out a morph. Um, so Cassie and Rachel and Aldrea head out and try out a wolf morph while uh, the rest of the team kind of flies surveillance, even though they said they're going to go off and make preparations. You know, Cassie's certain that Jake and some of the other members are probably watching them. And this is where we get uh, the idea that Aldrea can sort of wrest control from Cassie when she's not expecting it. And that sets up some conflicts for later in the book. Yeah, they set up the concept of like uh, when this, this ceremony takes place, the person who goes into the vessel, the memory, uh, it has to leave willingly. It can't just, you know... It can't be forced out in any way. So it sets up a conflict in this in this book that uh, there's a chance Cassie might never be free of Aldrea once they do this. Um, so th- that right there is a lot what they're dealing with. It, it also sits up here 
this idea that they can shut off their feelings from each other and their their memories. So they're like sharing the same space, but they can put up like a wall, a psychic wall between their two personalities. Uh, that kind of fizzles out. That doesn't. There's no real payoff on that being important. Uh, but they yeah, focus on it not here. Not necessarily. I think it's it's mainly uh, meant to differentiate this whole situation from having a yerk inside your head because they can cut each other off. You know, she's still in control. Um, and she's had a yerk in her head before, too, so she can make that comparison. If this had happened with another character, uh, we wouldn't really have that uh, aspect of it. It's possible another character could have been overwhelmed, too. Because Cassie has the experience with a yerk, she's probably best set up to to be able to, you know, take control if she has to. But we don't know that at this point in this book. Right. Well, the team for this mission is going to be, of course, the Animorphs, and uh, Toby Hummy is going to be tagging along with them this time to go on their uh, little journey. And I gotta say, I don't think enough was done with Toby's character in this book, especially when it comes to the ending. I think they wanted to do something very specific with the ending and kind of have a messed up event happen there, and they needed Toby to be there to do that, so they brought her along. Yeah, but I don't think it was executed it well wasn't. enough. Um, I would I would agree with you that. Yeah, I'll get to that. Um, so, really, I mean, it's it's very quick moving, I guess, for for the plot where the teams assembled. They're they're gonna board this Arn spacecraft, which is just a I think it's a Yerk fighter that he uh, kind of. Um, retooled a bit. As soon as they get inside, you know, Marco makes a crack about, oh, there's a jacuzzi. I want the ladies in it with me. And uh, <laughs> uh, the Arn uh, convinces everybody that, you know, it's empty. And, you know, I got to say, I really thought that they were going to pull this, uh, this like, the Arn is secretly a, a controller or something. Yeah, like, I thought they were, they... were going to do something more with them for that, but they, they you might have gotten that feeling because maybe they were trying to they because he's an Arn uh, because what do we know about them? Uh, they might have been trying to kind of play around with the idea that he shouldn't be trusted. Like I don't think at this point in the book you should completely trust him because the Animorphs didn't, um, and neither did obviously Aldrea didn't. Yeah, um, so I think they were just trying to play around with that. I don't think it was supposed to be like Chekhov's gun or anything that's going to come back later. But yeah, you're supposed to keep you on your toes. Right, yeah. And I guess it very much did that, but there was little to no payoff with that. I mean, he was just an old Arn, the last of his species. Um, he knew, you know, that he was going to be dying fairly soon, and he wanted to, as as the last act of the Arn race, he wanted to do some good for the hork that they kind of damned, you know? Which so, I like, so I like that goal. he wasn't, and his motives weren't, his was were a hundred percent pure. Like I like that he kind of like, you know, he wanted to do something for the Arn too. He didn't want them to go down in disgrace. He wanted the planet to be saved because they created the planet. I think I think he was a little selfish, but this is one of those times where his selfish ambitions line up with the good guy's wholesome ambitions. You know, sure. As uh, long as he's willing to like do some good, that's all that matters. Yeah. Um. So they're they're flying through z space with this uh arn it takes three days um they kind of skip around a little bit um cassie mentions you know what it's like having aldrea in her head for all that time there's actually a reference i think maybe one of the first in the series to uh uh well she says 
she's talking about what it's like to have Aldrea in her head. Eating with her, if you could call the concentrated nutrient pellets food. Going to the bathroom with her. A lot more togetherness than I'd have preferred. Bad enough figuring out how to pee in a toilet designed for hork Worse doing it with an audience in your head. <laughs> it's pretty funny, yeah. Um, so that's just one instance of uh, some of the wacky shenanigans they get up to in Z-Space travel. Yeah, uh, I'd rather jump straight to the what happens when they get into hork space. Um, it, this is really interesting. So they the first thing they run into... Um, once they come out of space, is is a Andalite fighter uh, who's, who they, uh, Axe says that the Andalites kind of, any of these home worlds of the Yurks or any of the major worlds that the Yurks taken over, the Andalites are always kind of on the edge of space, just annoying them or keeping them on their toes. And uh, this fighter, he sees a Yurk ship, which is what they've taken um, to get there, and starts chasing it down, starts going to fire on it. And this leads Axe to a little moral dilemma on whether he would fire on another Andalite fighter who's doing nothing wrong, just, you know, following his commands. And, uh, yeah, it gets a little little harrowing. harrowing. Well, and it's, uh, you have to mention that they're not able to contact this Andalite fighter because they're worried that the Yurks, you know, will be intercepting signals and stuff. So they can't just send a communication that says, hey, we're the good guys. So they have to actually go into battle with this uh, Andalite ship and more york ships you know show up to join in and and help them out and then at the very last second the team kind of helps the andalite fighter out by shooting at the york ships and they team up and um that's really the end of it i guess I, well, it's I, cool. nothing it's cool else happens it's cool though because you have uh you have them fight the andalite ship without really trying to hurt it and so that makes the Andalite confused. And then once the Yurk fighters show up, they ignore the Yurk ship and try to fire on the Andalite ship. And um, when they take out the Yurk ships, it's kind of the, the other Andalite, you know, figures out that they were, um, you know, Allies, spy yeah. ship or, or something. It's it's a really cool communication scene, uh, I think, from just, you know, they need an action beat, so they put something like this in here. But I think it's a unique action beat. I think it's cool. Yeah, Um I uh, I, I kind of dug it, except that, like I said, I feel like it doesn't go anywhere because uh, they put a lot of emphasis on this. And then after the situation's handled, they just sort of skip over to they're heading down to the planet. I feel well, like there cool. wasn't a conclusion with yeah. this Andalite fighter. Why didn't it try to communicate with them? Why didn't it follow them down to the planet? Yeah. What did how it cool do? Did it, it just screw off into space? <laughs> Yeah, no, what, how cool would it have been if at the very end when they're trying to do this impossible plan, uh, an Andalite fleet came in and helped distract? Like, like that little Andalite ship went back and like, hey, something's happening in the Horpager world, we should attack. You yeah, know, and like, you know what? I What I really was disappointed with is the fact that even after the plot wraps up, they didn't then go and contact this Andalite ship and say, hey, humans on Earth need help. Get over there right now. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't think they wanted to... They have to get the humans back home, just story-wise, and they don't want to push... With these ghost-written books, I only think there's so much they can do mythology-wise, and they can't push the end of the series up um, when they don't know how long the series is going to run. Sure, yeah. No, there's many reasons why you know that would have diverted from the plot at hand, but I, I just feel like uh, it was kind of a missed opportunity for something. Yeah, possibly, yeah. 
But anyway, um, they, they go down to the, the Hork-Bajir planet, or the Arn planet, as he considers it, and uh, they they find his lab. It's hidden in the valley. Um, you know, it's a big uh, moment for Aldrea, obviously, to, to return to her home world where she remembers it, you know, full of trees and life. And when they get there, it's obviously overrun by Yerks and just devastated. Um, Large swaths of, of trees have been destroyed. Um, just just the worst you can imagine when a, when the Yerks take over a planet. We've seen and heard of what they do. And this is uh, this is Aldrea's planet, which she knew 24 hours ago was fine. And now it's a scarred wasteland with a few trees left, you know? Yeah, Yerk pools. Um, huge, huge Yerk pools. Uh, not a not a lovely place. <laughs> um, and so the uh, Arn kind of like pieces out of the plot and gets to work on supposedly creating some Hork-Majir warriors to help them out while everyone else is like, well, I guess we got a weapons stash to look for. And uh, it's a part of the plot that Aldrea doesn't actually know where the weapons are, but she's got an idea of where she would have hit them. I guess and she, she told them made. yeah she told them when they before they left that she knew where they were and she kind of said it in a way that really meant she knew she could find them but they took it as she knew where they were so uh, that's kind of a reveal to them that they're hoping she knows where they are and it, it, yeah they made a very big yeah. deal out of it uh, Cassie does when you know she tells the team that she doesn't really know where they are um, although just because they don't have much time in these books, it doesn't really amount to much because of course she leads them to exactly where it is. I do think we could have gotten to the, um, to the Horpager world earlier in the book. I think they, Oh they yeah. Put it off too. Oh long. yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll mention that a little bit more in my review or go mm-hmm. a little bit more in depth with that. Um, but they, they you know, everybody, they're on the Horpager planet. Um, everybody morphs Horpager and, um, this is where we get Aldrea actually recognizing that Cassie's got a talent for morphing, which um, is pretty important to the story. <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly important. Yeah, and uh, they're they're you know swinging through the trees, and Cassie even lets uh, Aldrea take over the body, the hork bajir morph for a little while because she's so much more adept at doing this kind of thing. Um, and then they go to the valley area where her and Dak. Uh, kind of posted up during their time in the war. And she doesn't necessarily know that's where the weapons are hidden. She really, it, it's kind of cool how it's written, I think. Um, she goes there kind of convincing herself it might be helpful, but she really just wants to see her home. She she almost irrationally thinks maybe there's a chance that Dak and Ciro are there, that they're still alive. Maybe this is all just, you know, not what I think it is. And when she comes across, when she actually gets there, uh, it's it's devastating. What, what yeah, this is classic case of character in denial needs to see it for themselves to to really you know finally admit it, and that's pretty much what happens. As soon as they get there, you know, she recognizes that her home is destroyed. There's a giant yerk pool where they they used to live, um, and it's her assumption that that's where she would have hid the weapon is uh, in this big hollow tree that is now part of the standing yerk pool there. Well, it's not an assumption. She, uh, she sees something on one of the trees. She recognizes one of the trees. Um, it's their it's initials. Built. It's, it's Aldrea and Dax initials. 
uh, well, it's not her initials. It's it's not their initials. <laughs> That's a simplification. It, it's she calls it Horkbajir graffiti. It's um it's the signs for undying love, and she takes that as what her and Dak would have done. It's it's the equivalent. It's the alien equivalent of carving your initials in a tree with yeah, a heart around it. <laughs> basically, yeah, basically. So, so that's how she knows. Like that's where the weapons probably are. I'm surprised the Yerks didn't like you know burn that away. Just I don't think they cared. Like, I think it was just a tree to them, and they that was one tiny part of it. Yeah, they but probably, you think Yerks would get bored at some point and like just want to no, tear but, shit up? But no, they they say even that it's not. Um, it's not like letters. It's literally the way the the way these two branches are bent and this one piece is carved. It probably to them just looked like another part of the tree. It's to to a horkbajir, uh, it looks like something specific. Sure. That's a good way to uh, imagine it. Um the the real problem here is that the entrance to, to where the ship and weapons are supposedly hidden is inside the Yerk pool, which is under you know the sludgy water yeah um so that's gonna be a big problem however uh their their plan to get around that is um an, an old reliable strategy they've used in, in multiple books now um and it's a crazy suicidal plan like always i don't um, think they've used this plan in multiple books well some variations no, okay they they're, they're evolving they're evolving the plan and adding this more is steps so different but... than anything they've done before i'll disagree with you on that too um, uh, they've done a couple whale drops now they've done a, they've done one whale drop and it was an actual whale drop this is just using the whale okay okay part. okay ignoring the the whale drop which they've already done for sure uh-huh. at least once they they've making it broader. They've had tons of uh, plans that revolved around morphing while falling. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. I'll give you that. <laughs> but that's that's like saying they've had tons of plans where they morph while they're walking or running. I mean, that's, I mean come on. Uh, I guess so. I guess so. But the point is, they needed to take uh, the the Hork-Bajir controllers here by surprise, um, as well as they needed to fit like half the team inside of Cassie's mouth. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do wish they would have had more time uh, seeing, not seeing the plan, but hearing them plan or set it up. They because they got here so late, they have to kind of rush into the plan. I wish it would have had a little more set up. Uh, sure, we don't we, actually... we don't get them talking about the plan, but we get Aldrea's reaction to the plan, which is which she's is... adamantly against it. She thinks well, it's impossible. Desperate. It's not just that she's against it. Up until the point where there's no return, she is fighting for control over Cassie's body to stop this plan from happening. Yeah, and it's very much kind of like the um, the climax of the showdown between the two of them. Um, so Cassie is, uh, you know, going from bird to whale um, and, and kind of Whoa, doing you're, you're like half morphs. Hold on, you're gliding way too fast over this. So, so the plan, for those who don't remember this book, is for Cassie to fly in her bird morph to the as high as she can get and then morph down to whale so that she can enter the wadi, enter the water. Not, not entirely her, whale, though. Not entirely whale, but enter the water with her friends in her mouth who are also morphing to different morphs. So that's why she has to go whale, so that she has something a mouth big enough uh, that other morphs can be inside of her and keep her mouth closed the entire time. Oh, and by the way, so that she doesn't kill herself and her friends, she has to keep her bird wings 
throughout the entire morphing process, almost to the end. Yeah, so this, so is, this, is, this is a great impossible. demonstration of, of what the morph technology could be used for. I mean, she's like half morphing and morphing specific body parts. Like, this is really, really interesting hashtag morph lore stuff that I, I really want to see more of in future books. And, and, um, how, and besides how, the, the, the buffa human I've heard about, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get much of it. But Aldrea, the fact that Aldrea on... on a legendary Andalite who, you know, and acts the fact that they're amazed by this, um, shows that very few Andalites who created this technology could have pulled us off if any. So this moment, and I just want to talk a second about this, this moment, this action scene, uh, I had never read this book before the way it's written, the pacing it takes edge of my seat. And all the time is a, just a beautiful scene. Like an absolutely amazing, maybe the best in the series so far. This one scene. Um, that's an overstatement, I think. You can say it's an overstatement, but but the way that Aldrea Aldrea is freaking out and trying to take control of her body, which pay off pays off that storyline throughout the entire book. That is she going to take control? Can she take control? Is Cassie weak? Isn't she? The fact that Cassie pushes her aside is doing this impossible morph, which is exhausting to any other anamorph. And I mean, I'm not speaking lightly about this. We have given Cassie crap throughout this entire book series, even book 19 and, and book 29, which are huge Cassie books, uh, where she's at her best. Still, we 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 crapped on Cassie. This book, well, I think, yeah, go ahead. Hold on, this book made Cassie an incredible part of the series for me. I'd never read this book before. I I. I only knew the ending of the series. This book really made her one of the absolute standouts of character. Her arc up to this point, who she is, what she cares about, all of that matters so much more to me because of this one scene. And I, well, I what, don't what say this that really lightly. did was prove that Cassie has the mental fortitude um, to to do this kind of stuff, and that she's really progressed as a character. Yeah, like you said. Um, in those those first books, they were really about her struggles, um, and and uh, I think just kind of her weaknesses. Whereas this is kind of showing that man, she's progressed a lot. She's doing these tiresome morphs. She's battling with uh, a force inside of her that's trying to take control. Um, she eventually does, uh, you know, succeed in her mission, and she even passes out a little bit. And luckily, has Aldrea inside of her to kind of take over. Otherwise, she might have lost consciousness and possibly but you have died. To put it in this perspective, uh, because of this scene, and people can complain about canon and the ghostwritten books all they want, but this is a well-written book. I mean, this is this is one of the ghostwriters we actually respect. Um, there, it has a lot of flaws, and it has a lot of really rough parts. But this scene and how well it's done, um, this literally defines Cassie as the most powerful character in the series as far as a human character. She is the most powerful Animorph. She is better than all of them at this, and not just better in a beautiful way. She is the most powerful Animorph because of this scene. She can do more than them and use the power in a way that they can barely imagine. Jeez, doesn't you make, love doesn't her so make, much. Why don't you marry her? This is coming from the person. <laughs> this I got bad reviews at the start of this podcast because how much I hated Cassie. So for this turnabout, I'm not just doing it for 
an exciting drama of the podcast. I really this really changed how I look at Cassie in the series, and I think that's a big deal. And it's, the fact that it was done by a ghostwriter, even more so, um, just really blew my mind when I was reading this. And it, it really is the writing is impeccable in this scene. The, throughout this to the end of the book, in my mind, is some of the best writing of the series. It's it's a pretty good action scene. Um, we've got. I think it's Jake and Rachel who go hammerhead shark morph inside the yerk pool, which is just badass, I think. And they're yeah. tearing apart taxons and stuff. And Cassie even mentions like, oh, man, I feel bad for them because it's awful what they're doing. You know, yeah. being sharks and having to, like, tear apart taxons. It's not particularly hard or dangerous, but just nasty. Nasty yeah. and stuff. Then Tobias comes back with his axe morph and him and axe go full andalite just into the swarm of enemies uh you know that's something i I wish they'd have spent a little bit more time on yeah um i would have loved to to have a a good two andalite scene where they're tearing stuff up which you have to imagine that tobias and uh axe in their alone time are like like axe is teaching him how to fight and teaching him the different stances for fighting and stuff so like this is really a big payoff for that yeah, it would have been awesome, especially if we'd you know seen it like in in a visual format. Um, this could have been a Megamorphs book in my mind. This would have been better as a Megamorphs book. Oh, actually, yeah, um, yeah, that'll definitely factor into the old review. Um, yeah. But while while this whole big struggle is going on, and I, I love that Marco is in Hork Morph just trying to cause panic, and he's like, "Andalites are coming! Everybody, run! There's millions yeah. of them!" Like, <laughs> that was adding to the such chaos. A, such a Marco moment, yeah, yeah. And it's I mean, it's a, a genuine good strategy. Try to psych out your opponents, whatever. Yeah, and it works. Um, yeah. So they're they're mucking around in the Yurk pool, and you know it's very tense. Like, is the, is she gonna find the the entrance to the thing or not? And um, needless to say, I think it's pretty obvious. Yes, she does. Um, and they they get inside this hollowed out log uh, area where the uh, stolen Yurk ship and weapons. I do want to say one hidden. more thing about just the plan initiation in general. I really like that. Obviously, Aldrea's freaking out about this plan, hates the plan, thinks it's really dumb. She wants to do like a like what she was doing before on the planet, like oh yeah, affair. like yeah, exactly. She wants to take a long time and make a big deal out of it and kind of extend, you know, her stay in this. Whereas world. Jake's like, well, let's get it done in an afternoon. Why would we have to wait? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but exactly. it's it's great scene. It's another one of those moments. Like we talk about how. Whenever anyone else gets morphing powers, it shows how dangerous the Animorphs are. A scene like this, from an outside perspective, shows how much they've grown as a war device, as a fighting unit. They're they're not they're not just a little squad who can you know complete a mission anymore. They're a special tactics hardcore force. They're the Marines, you know. They're not the Marines. They're they're the Navy SEALs now, uh, where they can initiate impossible plans and actually come away from it. Exactly. Yeah, they they've definitely uh, advanced, and you know it's really cool that Aldrea is like questioning them the whole time, and you've got like Toby who is 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 vouching for him, and she's like, ah, they know quite a bit about war. They've they've been doing this a while now. They kind of you know freed the whole Horkbajir Valley back on Earth, and like <laughs> Aldrea doubts them. And I don't think she has reason to. She certainly doesn't after uh, after this whole thing. This is kind of where, you know, she finally gives in to Cassie and and acknowledges that she's 
the best morpher she's ever seen. You know, this is where she wins Aldrea over with her talents. Yeah. Um, and it's really this, the, this event that makes Aldrea realize, uh, that, you know, she can't cling to this existence like, like she's planned to do or had hinted that she might want to do. Uh, we got points in the book where she's talking about, you know, maybe I'll get to see Toby's kid in the future or whatever. Like she's planning to stick around a lot longer than the team is planning yeah. for her to stick around, you know? I do want to so, real quick. We we passed over one of my my only notes to the end. Um, sure. It's just I just want to read a small excerpt that's in my mind, kind of just sums up like what Cassie did that action scene and, and the writing how well it is. Just just yeah. real quick. Um, Cassie steadied herself. I felt her exhaustion. You're tired. Yeah. It's a miracle you're alive. Yeah. She began to morph. Horkbadir features appeared, but more slowly now. Too many morphs too quickly, and each a work of art. Uh, that that's just I think really good writing like just saying how like she did so many morphs over and over again each one would have been almost impossible for any of them you know yeah it would have been a very tiring event exactly and Cassie goes through it flawlessly um so once they find this this Yerk ship uh there's not much left I mean they just kind of blast their way out and uh they they destroy the Yerk pool, and this is cool because, um, you know, they, they kind of have to destroy the Yerk pool to get out. But even so, Cassie still feels guilt. And, and Aldrea even, you know, kind of takes Axe aside and is like, I sense that these humans are not happy about their success here. And, you know, it's just a very good uh, comment on, like, the morality and... Um, you know, sometimes you have to do the wrong thing in order to do the right thing, right? Yeah, and you have a you have a a little bit of a completion of that um, uh, the strife between Axe and Aldrea. How Aldrea kind of accepts that she was an Andalite, and she even says, um, "Ready, um, Andalite brother," and he goes, uh, "Yes, Horkbajir sister." I thought that was a cool little two lines. Um, just kind of them. Oh yeah, I guess that, that that snuck past me there. Good, really? good uh, statement. Find. Statement on identity, right there. I think very culturally relevant. Yeah, because the whole time, Axe, you know, she, like I said, Aldrea is referring to herself as Horkbajir, and Axe is quick to call her out on it. Um, and yeah, this is this is a very nice wrap up to that, where he finally is like, "Fine, whatever. You can be a Horkbajir. <laughs> you can be whatever you want, little girl, little dead girl." <laughs> so they, they take the, the ship and the weapons back to the Arn, Quafiginivan. I don't think we'll ever see him again. <laughs> Rest his soul. Um, and they, they take him back and, you know, they're going to blast off and leave because um, the Arn's got to take him back to Earth. And this is where we've got the, the final wrap up between Aldrea and Cassie, where uh, Aldrea can. Uh, acknowledge Cassie's talent and ability and she knows what she has to do now and that's go back into the bottle um, and and also there's Toby made Toby came on this mission expecting to lead the new free free Horkbajir um, and Aldrea decides that her great granddaughter should be on earth with with her um, grandson yes grandson and and should be with the free Hork Bajir who are fighting on Earth. So they kind of have to trick um, 
uh, they have to trick Toby into going back to Earth because she's dedicated to this new life. Yeah, and this was something that I feel like was just tucked in here because they needed a tiny bit of final conflict at the end. I, I, I think it's a plot line that wasn't elaborated on enough throughout the story. And, it, you know, it just wasn't working for me here at the end. So, But I think what they were going for here was to have um, Aldrea basically ruining her legacy in um, in Toby's eyes. So I think she was going to like pretend to want to keep the body and take over it, even though there's a beautiful scene where Aldrea says she needed Cassie as a vessel, wrapping up the other subplot. Uh, the reason she thinks that her consciousness chose Cassie is because she needed someone to challenge her on her morality and then be able to make the right choice, which the right choice is to leave the body and, and die again and stay dead. Yeah. And and so I think with Toby, there should have been basically another subplot where she really cared about the legacy of like how she's remembered to the hork and this would have ruined that. I wouldn't be surprised if they excised that from the book or something. Um, yeah, maybe. I, it just felt very tacked on, uh, rushed, and... Uh, uh, not the kind of wrap-up you want to see from these books. I it, mean, it doesn't work super well. But I, I think the ending chapter in general works. I think this, whatever they tried to do right here, it should have been set up, and there should have been more to it. Yeah, totally. Because it, it ends very abruptly with you know her suddenly deciding, oh, I'm gonna try and take over Cassie's body to you know ruin Toby's idea, and then Axe has to like say he's taking Toby hostage and it just really glosses over like Toby's reaction to everything. I felt like Toby was completely neglected as a character in, in this story, but they had to include her. Um, it, it just would have been much better to have more of Toby's perspective on everything. I mean, honestly, uh, I would not be surprised if this manuscript didn't start out as just another Animorphs book. If it started off as like almost a sequel to Horkbajir Chronicles, because they're dealing with big material here. And I, I bet there were more subplots. I bet there was more to it. And they just had to cut it down or they didn't have time to write a full sequel or something. I bet there's a story behind this book is what I'm saying. And I bet they meant to do more with Toby and to do this big morality thing at the end, which is what we got. It's just it's not fully fleshed out. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally agree with you there. Um, so while that's it, do you want to jump into our reviews? Yeah, you go ahead, go first. Sure, sure, my friend. Well, uh, you know, I don't know what you're thinking I thought of this book. Um, I I think I was pretty kind to it as we were going through and discussing it. There were just some things that, that didn't quite work out that well for me. Um, and I'll tell you what I didn't like, and then I'll tell you what I did like. So that beginning chapter, like I said, I thought was just a throwaway, dumb idea. Um, I would have really liked to see this book start out with uh, them, you know, at the hork Valley. Um, they could have even started it on the spaceship, like heading to the hork home homeworld with Eldre and Cassie's head. And mm -hmm. then had Cassie kind of review like what brought them there. Like, oh, we found Jeremy and the Arn came and blah, blah, blah. And, like, I, I really think that this book could have been more if it had been, like you said, another Megamorphs book, or if they'd have just done it as a two-parter, 
As a two-parter, they could have done so much more with the story, these characters. Um, I think we could have gotten so much more out of Aldrea, out of Toby, out of Kwafinjivinivan. Yeah. Um, like, they, they just, they didn't utilize them to their, their maximum storyline potential. And I feel like now they're just kind of wasted because they're going to disappear after this book. It's unfortunate that they had to try and cram everything into these parameters of like 150 pages or whatever it is. Um, so overall, though, I, I mean, the, the storyline is great. I think it's it's a, a good plot, solid story. Um, everything moves at a pace that's acceptable. Um, it had good tension with uh, the drama between... Aldrea and Cassie, you know, occupying Cassie's body. Um, the whole, is she going to leave? Is she going to, you know, become a villain? Like, I think if they'd have done a two-parter, they could have ended the first book with Aldrea being like, well, I'm not leaving Cassie's body. I'm in charge now. What are you going to do about it? And then that would have been a great cliffhanger. And then it would have set up a whole another book um, that we could have dived more into this. Um, maybe given Toby a bigger role to play. And then, like you said, had that moment where Aldrea's legacy, she chooses to like ruin it in order to save to Toby. Um, they, they could have just done so much more with it. It could have been wonderful. But instead, we get this kind of middle-of-the-road book where, you know, the Animorphs have a task. Um, there's something that's kind of working against them, which is Aldrea and, and her whole dynamic with the team. And uh, it, it's a very cut-and-paste mission. It's really nothing special. I mean, it's just go to a place, do the mission, leave. Like, we've seen that, that format in so many other books. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I, I dug it. Uh, it's just not the best Animorphs book um, when you compare it to some of the others. Still better than the Starfish book. I'll give it that. Um, the things I liked about it, like I said, just Aldrea's interactions with the team in particular with Axe, great stuff. Um, it, it really, really progresses Cassie's character, like you said, makes her more of a real fleshed out member of the team. She's no longer this like doubting girl, which is actually what she starts out at, at the beginning of this book. She doubts herself, you know, um, and I think it's Aldrea who helps her come to the realization that she's stronger than she gives herself credit for. Um, so it's, it's going to be really cool following along with Cassie from now on. I think her, her future books coming up are going to be really, uh, something I look forward to now. Um, all in all though, I, I just think it's kind of a middle of the road Animorphs book. And, and for that, I give it three, three Quafiginivans, the, the last remaining Arn. Um, so that's where I'm sitting at this. Oh, that would have been a cool title for a book. <laughs> the, the last Arn? His name and then the last Arn. That would have been. Oh, cool. yeah. Guaf of Gindalons. Nice try. <laughs> well, I don't have it sitting in front of me. I didn't write it down. Um, Neither do I. I'm pulling it out of my memory banks. You, you like practiced or something. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so I'm, I'm glad you gave it at least a three. I can. I can completely understand that score. I really struggled with my score for this one because there are parts of this book, like I said, I'm I'm not blowing smoke. I I thought some of this writing was some of the best of the series. And it comes back to this ghostwriter. This ghostwriter is exceptional. I mean, really, really good. And I think there was some behind-the-scenes struggle with this book. We don't know the whole story. I'd love to ask Mike. Chalk it up to the things we'd love to ask Kay Applegate and Michael Grant next time we talk to him. 
Um, but you know, something happened where this book, where it was something a much bigger idea, and had to be condensed down into a normal book. And I think it suffered for that. It's got some really rough parts. Probably a rushed production on top of whatever other issues they were having. Um, you know, the writing is quick, and I, I think she still holds it together. I think it is paced well. Super tense moments beautiful ending action scene that really hits the heartstrings as well as the uh, edge-of-your-seat thrill ride that we expect from some of these books and, and does it in a way that takes it up to the next level. I think they they killed it with this finale. And uh, I think it asked a lot of questions that we're interested in. If you loved the hork Chronicles and really got into that series, it's it's really great that they came back to it and gave it a sequel. I mean, they could have done this for every Chronicles and Megamorphs book, uh, just dedicated one more of the regular series to kind of like giving you a little more or, or wrapping up something or, or bringing back an enemy. I think that's a really cool idea. I wasn't expecting just randomly in the, th- in the 30s of this series. Um, so just, I, I really liked this book and I'm, I know this sounds crazy up until we started talking, I was really thinking about giving it a five um, <laughs> because of, because of the mythology that it adds going back to Aldrea, how good the writing is in this book, but talking to you, it would be, it would be unfair of me to give it a five because I can accept that there are rough parts of this book. Something you're gonna give it a four. I already know. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. It's the spoilers. Um, I have to give it a four. It's still an exceptional book. I think it is necessary to read. You're gonna have to slog through a couple parts that aren't bad writing necessarily. They're just kind of hokey and don't don't really work. Um, but when you get to the good stuff, it is really really good. Um, so I, I, yeah, I give it four out of five, uh, free hork clones. Um, it's just the clone army. <laughs> exactly. I was, the, Hey, Phantom Menace was already referenced and, uh, here's the attack of the clones. Um, so <laughs> there you go. I, I can't the, wait to the, the revenge of the Yerks. Um, in the next one, that'll be great. The revenge of the arm. Um, it's coming. <laughs> the revenge of the arm. Yeah. That'd be a great trilogy. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so I struggled with this one a lot. I really like it. I think you can't skip this one. You agree with me? This is this is an important book to the series, at least. Mm-hmm. You can skip it. I don't think you can skip <laughs> I think I think for the plot, I think for the plot you could skip it. I think for what it does to Cassie as a character, that for that alone you can't skip it. Um, yeah, you know, and it just, it pairs very nicely with the Hork Bajir Chronicles. It's, it's a good send off to Aldrea. Um, Aldrea was not a particularly well-liked character when she was first introduced. Uh, a lot of the same problems, just kind of her personality. She's, you know, not very likable. Here, I'm going to tie this um, but, into some other nerd culture real quick. This is well, the wait, I just want to say one last thing. Okay, Damn it. Red. Before you interrupt me. <laughs> I just wanted to say that this is Aldrea's kind of redemption. It's very much the same thing. You don't like her for a long period of the story, and then she does the right thing in the end. That's that's just kind of who Aldrea is. Yeah. No, anyway, no, no, was, give me say, your stupid analogy now. Yeah, so this is the Alien 3 of, you know, Alien Covenant just came out. This is the Alien 3 of the Andalite series with the Horpiture Chronicles. You have this returning character, this female, who comes back, Parts of the movie don't work. It's not all good. You need the director's cut to really enjoy the movie, really. Uh, but at the end of it, she she dies again. She kills the alien. She wipes it out. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a melancholy ending for her character. Uh, same thing as Ripley in Alien 3. So um, I, I, 
I really enjoy this book, and I think it's great if you like the Horpeture Chronicles, which both of us did. Um, so I agree with you. Yeah, um, not a bad time per se. Um, I can tell you, though, that I am looking more forward to what is coming up in the future for us. <laughs> well, we got a Marco book next, is that correct? Not only do we have a Marco book, uh, the proposal ties into it ties into Vizzer. Oh, heck yeah, bro. We are closing in on Vizzer, one that I have just been dying to reread since the first and only time I read it uh, several years ago. Um, so I, I just can't wait to dive back into that Man. and see uh, what I might have missed or overlooked uh, that first read through. If you um, if you yearn for the days of Thought Speak where we were you know, pushing out three hour episodes, wait until Vizzer. I guarantee we're going to have a lot to talk about. <laughs> we'll see, man. I, I hope. Yeah, I mean, if it holds up, I I have read it several times, and it's easily one of my favorite books, even outside of the series. It it goes into what is humanity? Do we deserve to be free? I mean, it's, it's an amazing, amazing book. Asks the hard-hitting questions. Yeah. Uh, so... Man, I, I, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad we got to talk about this book, this book that neither of us had read before. I think it was a great way to jump back in. Uh, I can't wait for what's coming up. It's just an exciting, exciting time to be a ThoughtSpeak fan and to be a ThoughtSpeak host, I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm digging it. I'm, I'm both. Yeah, exactly. Uh, again, we can't appreciate enough the people on Patreon who are subscribing to ThoughtSpeak. They're making us want to put out these episodes as fast as possible, not take these breaks, uh, do more with the Animorphs community, build a new website, do all these things. That, that'll be great. Uh, if you want to jump on there, it's uh, patreon.com slash ThoughtSpeakCast. Uh, check it out. See what the rewards are. If they fit with you, think about subscribing for a dollar, two dollars, whatever feels right to you helps us pay for the show and keep going um as mitch mentioned itunes love your ratings and reviews on there we'll read them on the air uh good or bad just love getting new itunes ratings helps new people find the show uh helps old people find the show it's it's just it's great for us uh we also have a thoughts we also have a twitter and a facebook you can email us your questions thoughts uh disagreements, arguments, whatever you want at thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com. And we will most likely read that on the air as well. Cause we love responding to you guys. Absolutely. One of the best parts about doing this show. Yeah. So I I, again, thank you guys. We appreciate every single one of you. Um, I, I love doing the show. I love continuing it. We're, we're in the thirties. We're getting there. Um, we've got some, Oh, we're so close to the forties, man. A lot of the books the that I haven't even read yet. <laughs> The 40s are where uh, Animorphs is like, you know, I don't have much time left. I'm going to get weird with the rest of this time. So this is this is yeah, this is the part of the series where they morphed into a shark and then they jumped it. They jumped another shark. Yeah, you know, it's you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> I get the reference. I get the TV trip reference. The the uh, plots are, are going off the rails here. Exactly. But appreciate you guys listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll catch you on the next one. I've been Coleman. And I have been Mitchell saying, uh, until the next Thought Speak, we will be back, and we look forward to it. Uh, Yeah, that's it. Peace out, everybody. Have a good one.